Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. You know, Father's Day is different than Mother's Day. You know, Mother's Day, you get to take mom to dinner, to lunch, you buy her gifts, you celebrate. Father's Day, you take people to lunch and you buy gifts to celebrate. So this, this is our day to do something for somebody. Hey, Dad, it's Father's Day. Where are you going to take us? Well, praise God. Just where you want to go. <laughs> so, uh, so we all that are fathers understand that. But you go through life one time, if you're going to do it, might as well do it with a lot of gusto. So uh, um, I would like to uh, just a short announcement because I'm really excited this morning. I'm a very happy man today. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife went to heaven unexpectedly. And I'd been sucking lips off one woman for 47 years. You kind of get used to that 47 years, you know. And so she went to heaven unexpectedly. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, that's a hard thing to go through if you've never lost somebody. So I cried pretty much for six weeks nonstop. And then one day I just stopped crying. And so I had a lot of family, a lot of pastors I know around the country. And they call and said, well, Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. My wife died. I didn't die. I'm still here. That's a funny statement, by the way. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here. And so, uh, so I still get to get up every morning and do stuff. And I, did, I slept really good. People say, you having trouble sleeping? No, I pass out when I go to sleep. I sleep really good. You eating? No, I've got a great appetite. I eat really good. And uh, so it didn't affect me. So I had some family say, well, he's in shock. I said, no, I'm not in shock. My wife died. That's a, there's a difference. <laughs> you know? and, so, and so I have a new empathy for anybody that's ever lost somebody, either through divorce or somebody that's went stupid on you or somebody that passed away because... Um, God's, uh, God likes to redeem things. He's, uh, he likes to show off. He likes to raise the dead and do incredible miracles. So uh, anyhow, I'd had a longtime friend. My wife and I would worked with years ago, you know, 20 plus years ago, and on the staff, and we'd worked together in the office. And, and uh, she called and said, Joe, I heard Denise passed away. I said, yeah. And so a lot of people call and said, yeah. She said, well, you mind if I just check up on you once a month or so? So for once a month, she'd text, how you doing? Fine. How are the kids? Fine. How's your kids? Fine. Because she'd gone through a horrible divorce years ago. And, uh, and so we just text. And so about eight months later, she called one night, and they said, hey. I said, I know that voice. I hadn't heard that voice in a long time. She said, how you doing? I don't know how you doing. So uh, I talked for about an hour and a half. Two of my kids were in the house with me at the time, and I came out of the room, my office. I said, who are you talking to? I talked to a lady. We sure are laughing a lot. Yeah, she's funny. And uh, well, what are you laughing about? Everything. You know, and so two people have been through hell. We came out together, and we just think life's kind of good, so we're just enjoying it. And so, and so uh, my kids were at the house two nights later, all there, all six were waiting on me. I said, what are you doing here? So we need to talk. About what? So, well, Dad, we think there's a problem. I said, what is it? You're talking to this lady on the phone. I said, uh, well, half the people in the world are female. I'm probably going to talk to a lady every now and then. It's just going to come up. I don't know. <laughs> we seem to really like talking to this lady. I love talking to this lady. She's a southern woman. She's just like me. We've known each other a long time. Our families, Hudson's and I, we, we work on the same staff. We know each other. And we just hadn't seen each other in a long time. She said, well, do you think that's right? And I think it's really good. I think it's not only right. I think it's good. And so it kind of went on, and we went through that. So uh, a year later, I'm, I'm at a, a meeting in Naples, Florida with some pastors. And, and she happened to be down in Naples with another friend doing some stuff with the organization she's part of. And, and she came to the meeting, so she got to meet my pastor who was down there. And, and so we had lunch together. And so we talked. And so at the airport, and uh, she went to the airport with me, and so... At the airport, we were saying bye, and I kissed her at the airport. Now, I've kissed two women now in, in my lifetime, and I realized when I kissed her that I really liked it. It's not real deep, guys. This isn't real deep. And so I realized I still like kissing. And so 
I realized once I kissed her, I thought, you know, it, it would be nice to wake up next to somebody every morning. I'd like to sit and drink coffee across the table with somebody every morning. I'd like to have a fight with somebody and make up every now and then. <laughs> and so I realized, uh, my wife died, I'm not dead. And so, um, long story short, we began to talk and visit, and we fell in love, and we got married. So I'm a two-month-old newlywed. So, Angel, stand up and wave at everybody. This is the love of my life, and uh, I'm telling you guys, it's, you hear it said, but it is better the second time around. I swear it is. It just really is, because I'm not Twitter-pated anymore. And we realize at our age, we don't have to impress you. I don't have to impress you at all. I just am who I am. If you like that, and this is how it is, and, and you're like you, and so let's not waste time trying to impress each other. Let's just suck lips off each other's face get stuff done. So I hope that encourages somebody. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to be talking, this is, a, this is our seminar called, You Don't Find a Great Marriage, You Build One, and that's what God said. Jesus did not, Jesus did not build the church. He said he had to find a church, he had to build one. You have to build a life. You don't find one. Nobody gets lucky. Well, you got lucky. You married a nice person. There are no nice people. <laughs> Anybody that's been married knows that. Man, I, I was in love, and I got married, and they turned into the she-bear from hell. Well, yeah, they were she bear ahead of time. They were just faking it until they got married. And, uh, and that's why, uh, you know, God knew what he was doing when he made Adam and Eve, you know, because Adam came first, and it was really simple. It was good. And it was real nice. You can read it in Genesis, man, six days of creation, you know, birds, the bees, flowers, and trees. Everything's wonderful. Weather's perfect. Clothes are cheap. Food is free. It's just really nice. <laughs> God's looking at everything he made and said, that's good. Good, 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 good. And all of a sudden, God said, not good. And the first time God said, not good, in Genesis, he was looking at a man. And he said, not good. Adam said, what's not good? You, not good. He said, what's the problem? He said, you're alone. He had no concept of being alone. He laid down here to take a nap. I'm going to fix that. So God put Adam to sleep, took out a rib. And, and when Adam woke up, God said, he made man, but he built a woman. That's why we say, man, she's built. <laughs> it's Hebrew. You can look it up. It's Hebrew. <laughs> God made men, but he built a woman. If he hadn't built a woman, the men wouldn't look. Why are you attracted? But she's built. Praise God. Around in all the right places. Praise God. I know we're in church. I, I teach on marriage all the time. Now, and so anyhow, when he made Eve, I mean, they didn't, they didn't milk the cows that day or feed the camels. They went off to fellowship. They didn't need a book. They didn't need a poster or a map or instruction. They figured out what went where. I've been teaching on marriage for 30 plus years. I've had the most insane questions asked that I've ever had asked from Christians. We've written too many books. We came with a book. It's really good. It still works. Volume two's not out yet. God's still hanging with volume one. And you need to read the book. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. Now, the first half of that word's hell. I'm going to make him a helper. Now, when God looked at Adam, he said, not good, not good. You need help. So, please don't take this wrong. It's not Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve. That's not a, that's not a sexual statement. That, that's not referring to any sexual statement. God said, you need help. I've got to make something better. So 
So if you go to the public library and you look up men and women in the public library, you'll find out that women are better than men. It's in the public library. Average woman in America has a 3% higher IQ than the average man. The average woman has a better immune system. She'll outlive the average man by seven years. She has a bigger vocabulary. The average man speaks 12,000 words a day. The average woman speaks over 30,000 words a day. That's why men never win an argument with a woman. He runs out of words. And so if you just go through the public library and look at the differences in men and women, God knew what he was doing. He made Adam a helper, something better than him to help him do what he did. They're not to dominate one another. They're made to enhance one another. There's, an old, there's a bumper sticker in Texas that says this, when two people are just alike, one of you is not needed. And I have a couple, we're so in love, we're so alike. No, you're dumber than dirt. You, you don't know. That's a hormone that lasts about 18 months. In about 18 months in your marriage, you're going to wake up next to a she-bear from the south side of Hades because that hormone just stops. It shuts off. I'm not making this up. It's in, it's in the medical book. It just shuts off and you, man, what happened to you? Your hormones stopped. Now I have to become a real husband. I'm not famous anymore. I'm not perfect anymore. I'm, I'm the north end of a southbound mule, evidently. Now, I used to take my seniors to divorce court every year. For 10 years, I was a school administrator, and, and once a year, I'd get my seniors only, load them up in the bus, and we'd go to two places. We'd go to the county jail, and uh, go to the county jail. It's on the fourth floor, so we walk through the county jail, just get to walk through. And that's where they're in there, all in their orange jumpsuits. And they got them forward to a cell, and there's a toilet in every cell with no door. So if you go to the bathroom, you're going with three other people looking at you. I'm not making this up. I'm trying to help you out. So the seniors that thought they were bad boys still stop signs, peel their tires out of red light. Let me show you where the bad boys go. And they won't be eating that macaroni and cheese from Kraft. They're eating that generic stuff that's going to stick to your colon for a month. Now we're going to go to divorce court. So all these kids are in love. We're seeing who in love. I'm in love. No, you're an idiot. You're not in love. Love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. You tell somebody I love you, get out your checkbook, your 401k, your billfold, your hunting dog, your bass boat, your rod and reel, your pickup truck, and pile that on the table. <laughs> and then say, hey, sugar, <laughs> I love you. Because if love's not cost you something, it's not love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. It cost God everything to love us with no guarantee we would love him by. So I tell people, marriage is two ignorant people growing up together. You'll never get to know them. You can date somebody for 20 years, and I've got a cousin who did that. Well, we're just trying to get to know each other. You'll never know them until you say, I do. The day you say, I do, scales will fall from your eyes. <laughs> Revelation will come from heaven. You'll think, oh, dear Lord, what have I done? You married that big boy and everything that came with it, every nut in the family tree's on that thing. Because I've married family members. Well, we're not going to ever have them over. We're not going to have, oh, no, no, you're not, they're not going to come over. They're probably going to live with you for a few years. It's family, big boy. It's family. And so when we go and start thinking on marriage, you had to go back to it. It's like, we real something. Jesus built a church. He didn't find one. You build a marriage. You build a life. How long is it going to take until Jesus comes? You'll be building your marriage forever. Now, my first marriage lasted 45 years. And I was learning something new about my wife every day. Every day. My father took my mother to a seafood restaurant their entire life for their anniversary because there's no seafood in Tennessee. 
unless it's frozen. So it's special. So I did the same thing. I got married, and so my first wife, I took her to a seafood restaurant. So we're celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary in Florida. Four of my kids were there. I flew two down there in college. I fly them down. I got a beautiful five-star restaurant right on the water in Melbourne, Florida. Magnificent seafood restaurant. Got our own room. We're talking, laughing, telling stories. I noticed my wife wasn't eating her food. I said, honey, is anything wrong? She said, Joe, is this a good seafood restaurant? I said, honey, this is a five-star restaurant. It took a week to get in here. I said, is something wrong with your food? She said, I just realized something. I said, what? She said, I don't like seafood. <laughs> I said, I've been taking one for 30 years. Well, I just figured you never could find a good one. She said, if this is a good one, I don't like seafood. My children are staring at me. My two colleagues kids said, well, Dad, you teach your marriage. Yes, and I have a whole new seminar and a new book coming out about this. So, so I fed her steak for the rest of her life. We never had seafood again. I don't care how long you're married to somebody, they're going to change. You hope they change. Now, men marry women thinking they'll never change. And women think, I'll change him the day we say I do. I'm going to jerk the slack out of that big boy. And both are lies. Because only God can change a heart. It takes God to change somebody. That's why unless you're born again, you have no business getting married. Unless you're marrying somebody else that's born again, you're in deep trouble. Marriage was meant for believers. God didn't make marriage for unbelievers. Marriage was not intended for unbelievers. God made marriage for his children. There are rules that go with that. For example, there's rules about communication, what you say. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, lest it ministers grace to the hearer. Well, that's for a believer that's married. If you're not a believer, you can say anything to hit your brain. Just let it rip. That's why I wanted my students to go to divorce court. You're going to hear two people at one time stood before God and witnesses and swore their undying loved one, I love you, I love you. And that's who you're going to hear today. And you're going to hear every nasty four-letter word you've ever heard and some you've never heard before spoke between two people today in divorce court who at one time swore their undying love. Well, what happened? They fell out of love. Well, they fell out of love. You can't fall out of love. You can fall off the couch. You can fall out of bed. You can fall out of your truck. You can fall off a cliff. You can't fall out of love. Love's a choice. So anybody in your family that throws that one line, well, we just fell out of love. No, you're an idiot. You're a lazy idiot because love is a four-letter word, but it's not a cuss word. It's the most powerful word in the universe. When God said he loved us, he gave everything. With no guarantee. Love's a one-way deal. It's not, well, I'll love you if you love me. I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. Oh, no, no, no. If you're a believer, when you get married, you're swearing before God and witness, I'm going to love you till the day Jesus comes. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. I'm going to love you. I don't care whether I feel it or not. It's not, love's not a feeling. It's an action. Love's an action where it's not, no, that's stupid. No, that's a teenage liberty gibbet person. Love's expensive. So when you tell someone, I love you, I'm yours till Jesus comes. Whatever you need, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to buy it, believe God for it. I'm going to bind the devil for it. I'm going to lay hands on you and make sure you stay well. Whenever you go through, I'm, I'm going to pray for you for your healing. I'm, I'm your deal. I'm your gift from God. Because we would make fun of it in junior high. I guess you think you're just God's gift to man. Well, I am, biblically. I am God's gift to man. I am. It's quiet in here. <laughs> and so what happens is marriage is the second greatest thing God ever did outside of salvation. It's a gift. The greatest thing that ever happens to humans is they get married. 
God said in Genesis, it's, Genesis 2.18, he hadn't changed his mind. God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. It gets quiet every church I go to. I'll say it again. It's not good for a man to be alone. Now, I got people, and I got, I'm the only, listen, my dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My father had 12 brothers and sisters. I'm the only preacher in the family that happened to be Pentecostal. That messes with all of them. So I do all the weddings and funerals for free because I don't cost anything. And so I do all, and so I marry anybody. You want to get married? Sure, I'll marry you. And I'm going to talk to you and give you instructions. But if you've got your mind made up, I'm going to pray for everybody. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the wedding. They say, well, you, you, you'll marry them. I'll marry anybody. I'll marry two dogs and a cat. I don't care if you want to get married. I'll do it. And I'll lay hands and I'll pray for you. But I'll also give them some instruction. I need to see you for a couple of nights and just kind of give you some instruction. This is where you're going. This is what's going to happen. Because love is a kind of a, it's a moving thing. But I'm talking about great love, no love, little love, great faith, little faith, no faith. It moves. And so every day you have to get up knowing, today I'm going to love you. What do you need? Today I'm going to love you. What do you need? That's why people fall out of love. The highest divorce rate in America is among people when the last child leaves home. When did you get divorced? After the kid left home. Why did you stay married? You still had kids. When did you get divorced? Well, I don't have any kids anymore. I'm, I'm out of here. Well, you fell out of love a long time ago. You, you might have slept in the same bed, ate at the same table. You don't love. Love does something. So I'm going to give this to you. Again, you ought to read the book. It's very entertaining, and there's a lot of humor in it, believe it or not, because marriage is the funniest thing God ever did. Outside that, there's this, because once you get married, you're going to start dropping babies. That's sort of the natural process. People asked me one time, we were at a formal event, black tie. A lady comes up, interrupts the conversation, and my wife and I have another couple said, are you Joe McGee? Yes, ma'am. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. We love all your stuff, your tapes and so forth, your books and parents. It's so refreshing to meet a man who loves children. And I said, well, thank you, ma'am, and I'm trying to be polite. I'm trying to be polite. <laughs> and about the third time she said it, Denise is still with this other couple, and she's interrupted the conversation. About the third time she said, it's so refreshing to meet a man who loves children. I said, honey, I don't love children nearly as much as you think I do. You obviously love children. Any man who loves, has six children obviously loves children. I said, no, ma'am, you got the cart in front of the horse. I said, you see that real pretty lady over there? That's my wife. She just stared at me, man. I'm just staring at her. I don't have six children because I love children. Children were not on my mind. She got offended and walked off. Ten years later, I'm at a church. I'm at the church of Broken Arrow. This lady walks up after I did a seminar, and she said, do you remember me? I said, no, ma'am. I meet a lot of people. I'm sorry. Who are well, I met you ten years ago at a formal event. And she told the story. I said, oh, man, here it is. And I just want to apologize. It took ten years to figure out what you told me that day, and it's true. <laughs> so I hugged her neck, had her autograph something. So. Life is an ongoing process. The Bible told the apostles, take no thought what you're going to say tomorrow. Don't think about it. Just show up and be yourself. We try to outthink people and outdo people. We're just to love people. Two things last forever. The Word of God and the people of God. Everything else you see around you it will disappear one day. Two things last forever. The people of God and the Word of God. Well, if that's the case, I want to rearrange my priorities. Because that's going to last forever. Because you get to heaven, God didn't care what, you, what your vocation was or what you did. Did you love people and do you have any of this in you? 
Well, this produces faith. Without faith, you can't please God. Without faith, you can't whip the devil. So, I'm going to give you the short version. This is real good. Genesis. Adam went off to fellowship. Problem is, Satan had been kicked out of heaven. He's been fired from his job. God did not make the earth void without form. A lot happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. All of a sudden, the devil's down here, he tore everything up. God recreates it. Adam and Eve sitting in the Garden of Eden. All of a sudden, Satan shows up and he says, now, what is this thing right here? Well, this is something lower than an angel. God made man lower than an angel to show off. A third of the angels rebelled. They got kicked out of heaven. And all of a sudden, God's going to replace the angels with something called a human, lower than an angel, but has authority over angels. So all of a sudden, Satan walks in the Garden of Eden. And he says, uh, are you sure God said? First thing the devil challenges is the word of God. He's going to challenge this. So if you don't know this, you're in trouble. He's going to challenge. You sure God said it? You sure God said it? And he said, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. He said, you know. and of course she misquoted God because she wasn't there when God gave instructions to Adam. It was Adam's job to tell Eve what to do. So all of a sudden they sinned. They did the fruit thing. They sinned. All of a sudden they realized they're naked. We are buck naked. So they have to go down to J.C. Penney's, get some clothes and get dressed. God comes walking through the garden. I'm paraphrasing the modern translation, message translation. God comes walking through the garden. He's, he's calling for Adam. Now, he knows where Adam is. Adam, Adam, where are you? I'm over here. What are you doing? He said, well, I was hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, I was naked. God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat that fruit I told you not to eat? And Adam's thinking like, well, it was the woman you gave me. It was the woman. God, me and you, it was paradise. It was great. And ever since you brought that one in my life, been going downhill. Message translation, read it, it's real entertaining. God turns to Eve and says, what's your story? She's thinking, he's dumped on me, he's dumped on me again. And she said, well, well, snake's fault, snake's fault. From the very first couple, it's always somebody else's fault. It's my mama's fault, my daddy's fault, my husband's fault, my wife's fault, my boss's fault. Mayor's fault, president's fault, government's fault. And as long as I can point my finger somewhere else, I don't have to do nothing. Not my fault. But until we point the finger back at us, nothing's going to change. Because everything in my life is my responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility. It's not my boss's responsibility. It's my responsibility. So I realized earlier when we had all those kids, like if you make an F announcement, that's my fault. I used to yell them, man, you're stupid. You need to study harder. <laughs> well, I, have I taught them how to study? I never taught my kids how to study. Nobody taught me. Have I ever taught you how to pass a spelling test? Have I ever taught you how to pass an SAT test? You better pass. You better pass. Man, you're just dumb. You're just dumber than dirt. Go to your room. Just shut up. Get out of here. And so we don't know how to be a parent. See, God gives children on loan. Children are from God. They are a gift from God. We're to train them up and we're to give them back to God. They're not ours. They belong to God. God gives us to train up. Well, it gets quiet when you say that. Now, some parents are possessive. They're my life. No, God's your life. Children are temporary. I heard my kids, my, my oldest daughter who never yelled, she's a college professor today, she never yelled. And I heard her voice go up real high in the kitchen one day. I thought, what did she say? I'm in the family room to go through the double doors into the kitchen. I said, what did you say to your mother? And she put one of those kid things. She said, that's between mom and me. Oh. No, 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 no. See, mom and I, we are forever. You're just passing through. When you talk to her, you're talking to me. What did you say to your mother? She said, 
I'll be glad when I'm out of here. Well, dear Lord, me too. That's been the goal since you left your mother's womb. That has been the goal since that day is to get you out of here. I thought you were going to be here another four years and go to college, but if you're not, hey, I'm excited. I didn't know you were going to leave this soon. I praise God. I'm going to go get your suitcase. I went upstairs, got the suitcase, started opening the kitchen table. I said, now, what do we need to put in here since you're leaving? I'm excited. You're, you're, I thought you were going to be another four years. You're leaving. Praise God. What can we put in there? I thought, well, now let's see. So, well, I own everything you got on, so I guess if you go now, you're going buck naked. I said, now, what are you going to drive? Because there are four cars in the driveway. I got big family. I got four cars out there. And I said, what are you going to drive? I said, well, all those belong to me. So I guess if you go now, you're not only going buck naked, you're going barefoot because you're going without nothing. And they decided to stick around. It, was, it worked out good. <laughs> and I, I'm old school. Don't you threaten me. Don't you threaten me. I birthed you, bathed you, wiped you, taught you how to go to the toilet, get dressed, pass algebra. Told you how to make the ball team, sent you to summer camp. I got you into college, told you how to take the SAT test. We started practicing in the ninth grade. Because to give that test five times a year. The whole goal is to knock the top off that chart, not pass that test. We want because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. I need you to get a high score because heathens are going to give you money for that score. So you're going to knock the top off that thing. So we took it. Every one of my kids took it five times. And our senior, they took they get five times their senior year. Thirty-nine ninety-five. What are you doing? I'm trying to save thousands of dollars by knocking the top off that test. You can practice that test. You go to Barnes and Noble. You can buy the practice SAT test. The practice ACT. No, you're not trying to pass. You're trying to knock the top off because heathens will write you checks for those tests. So I got you in the comments, I paid for your wedding, I paid for your honeymoon, bought your first car. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> but once you leave my house, and I'm not making this up, once you leave my house, you put the house key on the kitchen table. And don't you ever come to my house unless I invite you. And if you come, you bring food. <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny, I'm serious. You bring food and don't spend the night. Mom and I got our time back. <laughs> my wife got mad at me. We've been married three years. My wife got mad and she went home. I'm going home to my parents. Dear God, I'm glad. Get the hay out of here. <laughs> and so they lived three miles away. Our parents lived close together back in Tennessee. All of a sudden, third minutes later, she showed back in the driveway. She came in the house crying. Said, what are you doing back? Did you forget something? Daddy won't let me come back. He said he gave me away and I can't come back. <laughs> I said, I love your dad, man. He's a great man. <laughs> we got too many families playing sissy fives. Well, let me hug your neck. I ain't hugging your neck. You're an adult. Act like one. You know, adults pay for themselves. Oh, I got quiet. Pa-ching, pa-ching. You know, what you're going to make money? I told all my son-in-laws, I visited with all my son-in-laws before they married my daughters. And I got to know them. We had a, we had a thing of dating. That's a whole other seminar, how we dated and all that. But before the wedding, I took them through six months of pre-marriage counseling. I saw them for one Thursday night a month for four hours, had them read six books, do six book reports. The last night, I come and said, here's what you got to do the last night. Number one, son, you're going to bring me your last 12 months of canceled checks and put them on my desk. Then you're going to bring me a five-year plan. Two things I'm looking for in your cancel checks. Number one, are you a tither? If you're not a tither, you're not marrying my daughter. But if you're not a tither, you're under a financial curse. I don't care what your IQ or your GPA is. If you're not a tither, my daughter's going to look like she's been drugged down the interstate behind a bumper of a car 20 years from now, 
wore out trying to support your sorry self because you're under a curse financially. I don't care what your GPA is. Number two, I want to make sure, have you spent any money on my daughter? You say you love her. How much money have you spent the last 12 months on my daughter? If you spent more money on bass fishing and deer hunting, you have my daughter, you ain't marrying into this family. You're a liar. Love's expensive. If you say I love you, there's got to be some dollar signs behind that. Quiet in here. I'm trying to help you. That's why I only come once a year. <laughs> so, and so one, one son-in-law was a seven percenter. I said, you're, you're not a tither. Yes, sir, I've been tithing for the last three years. No, you haven't. You're a seven percenter. I don't know what that is, but it's not a tither. That's 10%. Oh, well, I'll fix that. Good. Need to. Well, the wedding was going to be in two months. I said, well, now, we're not getting married in two months. I need you to be a tither for a year. We're getting married in two months. Well, you can, but I'm not paying for anything. You're not going to marry into my family with my blessing and my permission until you tithe for a year. And so my daughter almost disowned me. You know, it was a mess in my house, and I was the she-bear from hell. I was just, I was the devil incarnate. But a year later, they got married, and it turned out to be really good because they're really good financially. Somebody has to set the standard, and the standard came in a book. Now, I know I've told this story so many times, but when I, was a, when I was an engineer, I was not an electrical engineer, not a mechanical engineer. I'm a process engineer. So I'm working in Sykes, Missouri, and uh, people hire me to do two things. Number one, if I go to Home Depot or Lowe's and I buy a box of your wire, that wire better do what that box says. I'm to make sure that we don't lie about what we're producing. The second part of my job was when a company hired me, I have one year to improve the process of making that product. A year from now, you better be making more money with that product than you were making when you hired me. I'm to improve the process. I'm a process engineer. And so I'm working at this company. I worked three different companies, four years each. Had a great career. I'm working at one of Sykes, Missouri, and I got a call about 2 o'clock in the morning. Joe, you got to come down here. The big rod breakdown machine It's not working. 2 o'clock in the morning, we're in a little community of about 12,000 people. We'd been in Jewett City, New Jersey. We removed the plant to the middle of America because we're trying to find better manual labor, people that know how to work. And so we moved out here. It's an old plant, been built in World War II. And uh, so we brought this big machinery out. Well, the, the plant's old. It was built to make airplanes in World War II. It's been empty for 30 years. We've taken it back over. We've got our big machines we brought up from Jewish City. But the floor is kind of weak. And so was, the concrete's breaking up. We're having to re-concrete the building. We bought this big rod breakdown machine. It's about 12 foot by 18 foot by 30 foot. This big machine takes a big copper rod. It breaks down at all the wire that we use. 18 gauge, 12 gauge, 14 gauge, 26 gauge. This machine feeds this entire plant. We've just spent a lot of money on this machine. I come, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, it's not working. I said, you check this, you check this. So I come in, I, I'm standing there and the plant manager's there, the CEO. I said, well, what have you done? Have you done this? Have you done this? Yes. So eventually, about 90% of the time, I'd have to say, where's the manual? And they would say, the what? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a $800,000 machine. It came with a handbook. If I go to Walmart and I buy, I buy a blender, it comes with a handbook. If I go buy a sewing machine, it comes with a handbook. If I buy a pickup truck from Ford, it comes with a handbook. That big machine came with a handbook. Men hate handbooks. <laughs> Got a bunch of stinking print and can't read it. And just plug it up and turn it on, boys. We don't need no stupid handbook. Plug it up. And that's what they had done. I'm not making this up. So we finally found the handbook in the bottom drawer of a four-drawer file cabinet in the foreman's office, still in plastic. I tore the plastic off. Every handbook's got a troubleshooting section in the back. Every handbook. So I go to the back. Now, I'm the engineer. They think I'm doing algebraic equations. They don't see what I'm reading. 
I'm looking for the troubleshooting section. And I'm reading, and they're all over studying, talking, trying to punch buttons. So we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. Number four and number five, it said, it said in the handbook, is machine plugged in? <laughs> I'm not making this up. I wish it So I walk over and I look at this. This thing's the back corner of this old plant. So I'm looking down the back wall. It's about 18 inches. I'm looking for a 220 plug. And I'm looking, and there's tobacco spit and coffee cups and trash. I don't see a plug. So I was much skinny. I sort of turned sideways, east down. I looked down the back of that machine. Sure enough, halfway down, that 220 plug's hanging halfway out of the wall. So I eased down the back of that machine. And I get to it, and a boom, and I kicked it in. When I kicked it in, the machine came on. Boom. You, hey, Joe, Joe, it's working. It's working, Joe, it's working. Now, they can't see me. I said, okay, I'll be out. It takes about a minute to get in. I come back out, and they're patting me on the back and shaking hands. I said, okay. He said, if it tears up again, call me. Because you don't tell a grown man at 2 o'clock in the morning, hey, stupid, you not check the plug because you won't be invited to his Christmas party. <laughs> so coming the next morning, Charlie McPhail's the plant manager. He went to Michigan State. Great guy. He's a great boss. So he called me and said, Joe, appreciate you getting that thing around last night. Yeah. And so he's sitting in his office. I'm in the big table in front of him. He said, was well, it going to happen again? Yes, sir. Oh, going to. Do we need to call the manufacturer? No, it's not the manufacturer's problem. He said, what was it? And he's getting ready to write down this big complicated answer. He said, well, what was it? I said, the machine was unplugged. He said, did you bill us for that? I said, yeah, I've already turned it into accounting. That's an expensive plug. I said, now your operator could have checked the plug. Your foreman could have checked the plug. Your supervisor could have checked the plug. But I checked the plug. And I'm expensive. But I bet you I will never have to check that plug again, will I, Charlie? And I didn't. They, re man, they replaced that receptacle. That plug never came out again. We came with a handbook. Amen. The Bible says if we meditate in the handbook day and night, we'll prosper and have good success. Where's prosper and good success come from? Meditating in the handbook day and night. Now, I do churches. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. We do 60 seminars a year. I only go to churches. Guys, we, we came with a handbook. We need to read the handbook. It's a really good handbook. It's got a lot of good stuff in there. You know, let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. Let's administer grace to the hear. Don't talk skanky to people. They're probably going to slap you, cut your tires, burn down your house. Please don't talk skanky to people. It's in the book. Make sure your words are seasoned with salt. It's in the book. Believe God for divine favor. It's in the book. God had people that were taken out of their family, Daniel and Joseph. Uh, their town was invaded. Their homes burnt down. Their parents were killed. They were taken to a foreign country and made slaves. But they knew the book. And both of them ended up running the country that tried to enslave them. Daniel and Joseph ended up running the two most powerful people on the planet. I thought, what was your qualification? I was a slave. They burnt down my home and killed my parents. Because everybody's got some thumb-sucking sad story. Well, you don't know where I came from. You don't know who my parents were. You know what my dad did. I don't care. I don't have a time machine, and I personally don't care. Everybody's got some sad thumb-sucking song. Keep it to yourself. I don't care. It won't change till you get in the book. Yeah. 
You got to get in the book because the book changes everything. This is God's word. God watches over his word, not my word. God doesn't watch over that. God watches over his word. But if I don't have his word in me, I probably don't have his word to say. So it's a real short sermon. Let me go back. Genesis 2, 3, and 4. Adam and Eve sinned. They get fired from the job, evicted from the house, kids start killing each other. That's the first family. You can imagine God in heaven sitting there looking at this myth. Look at him, son. Look at him. Adam shot his foot off. I knew he was going to go stupid on me. I knew it. I'm going to have to send you down there to fix it, son. You got to go down there and fix it. You're the only one I got. And so you can't go as you because a human lost it and a human's got to get it back. So I'm going to have to shove in that woman's womb. Now I'm going to say she's going to have to shove you out. You're going to spend about 40 years figuring out who you are. Then you're going to meet this camel hair bug eating Baptist. He's going to dunk you under the water. You're going to come up. I'm going to come out of heaven. That's my son. We're going to take up in the wilderness. You're going to scrub against the devil. And you're going to say, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then you're going to get really hungry. And your hair's going to be really skanky and matty. You won't be able to take a shower for 40 days. And you're going to have really bad breath. <laughs> it's in the book. Real entertaining book. really is. I try to imagine the angels fixing the devil. The devil got three, it is written, it is written. The devil cannot handle the spoken word of God. So the Bible says the devil left after Jesus spoke the third time it is written. So the angels came and they fed Jesus. I don't know what they fed him, but it must have been good. So he's there. He's not eating for 40 days. His stomach stuck together. He's not bathing. He had not brushed his teeth. He's got the, he got the breath that peel the bark off a pine tree. He's skanky. He's not that pretty picture they put in the Bible. He's skanky. So he's eating some lunch, all skanky breath and all. And I try to imagine Jesus talking to the angels. Hey, boys, did you see that? Yes, Lord, we were waiting on you to call us. There were so many of us who were just waiting when you, you never called. But we, were, we were ready if you had called us. I could hear Jesus say, I, I whipped him. Yes, yes, Pastor, you did. Way to go. No, you don't understand. I did not whip him as God. I whipped him as a man with the word of God. And soon there will be millions of us and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. God sent his son to show us how to live. Jesus didn't cheat. Well, he's God. He didn't do anything. No, he couldn't. Jesus prayed all the time, every night. Before the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is garden of Gethsemane sweating bullets. We just came back from Israel a few weeks ago. Jesus did that garden. He's sweating bullets. He realizes, I got to go get the snot beat out of me. They're going to nail me to a cross. I'm going to go to hell for three days. He's realizing, and so he's praying to the Father, can you let this cup pass from me? And the Father says, nope. And Jesus said, well, not my will, your will be done. Jesus paid the price for me. I don't have to pay that price. He paid my price. That's why I like him being my Lord. He knows everything I'm going through. So we'll go back. Let me get fired. So God comes down to Well, now that you've sinned, son, you're going to have free food forever. But now since you've sinned, thorns and thistles are going to grow up in your garden. You're going to work, but you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brows. You ask any man, how does it work? Hard. Man, I work hard. I work hard with it happened in Genesis. If you don't get out from under that curse, which is what happens you get born again, you're going to work hard all your life. I work hard. Then he comes down to Eve. So when I Eve, now that you sinned, you're going to have pain in childbirth, which I assume means before the fall, there was no pain in childbirth. I, I assume before the fall, having a baby is like spitting out a watermelon seed. After the fall, like spitting out a watermelon. That's my interpretation. And then God said, to him, now that you sin, your desire will be to rule over your husband, 
but he will ruthlessly rule over you. Male chauvinism and women's liberation were born in the Garden of Eden, not in the 1960s. Hell hates women. You ever notice the devil didn't go after Adam? Did you ever notice that? The devil didn't go after Adam, he went after Eve. Why, is she the weaker vessel? Oh no, anybody that's married knows a woman is not the weaker vessel. <laughs> the devil knew if I get her, she's got him by the throat. He'll do whatever she says, and he did. Has you ever look at the 1040 window where the gospel's not preached hardly at all on this planet? Women are beat, raped, abused, sold into slavery, and murdered every day. Hell hates women on this Father's Day. That's why God made marriage. Two are better than one. Now, I will give the disclaimer. I got a big family. I recommended divorce three times to my family, and I'm a minister, and they were shocked when I did that. Why do you recommend divorce? Because he's an idiot. He's gone stupid. We're not going with him. So I walked to a man in the divorce court. I thought you're a minister, and I am. He's dead. He just didn't know it yet. Abusive, messed up, doesn't go to church, on drugs, drunk, sleeping around. No, he's dead. We're going to dump him. We're going to get somebody else. And so I stand out in my family because I'm not normal. Because I recommend divorce three times. Why? Well, you're not right. No, I'm biblical. Stupid people go stupid. We're not going with them. And I tell people all the time, especially my family, should I stay with them? I'm sorry, is that the reason you have the broken nose, the black eye, and your ears puffed up? No. Matter of fact, I'm calling 911 for you, and he's going to jail. And I'm going to be a witness. I'm an ordained Holy Ghost, spirit-filled, tongue-talking minister, and he's going to jail, and I'm going to sign the paper. People have gotten Twitter-pated over Christianity. Yeah, everybody talks about the second coming of Christ, but evidently nobody reads Revelation. You ought to read it. Not late at night. It'll scare you. But it ends really good. The Bible says of all the books we read, that we'll be most blessed reading Revelation. You've got to know how it ends so you know what's going on. So when Jesus comes back, you know, people say all the time, they're talking about the last days. I've got people that have gone stupid. I mean, oh, the last days are coming. I've got buddies that I admire and respect, have degrees that have food stored in their basement. they got gas masks. And they're getting ready because it's coming. The Antichrist is coming. I don't care. When he's coming, I won't be here. <laughs> I'm not storing up food. I'm not storing up gas masks. I'm still going on vacation. I'm having a really good time. Uh, I'm going to work until I hear the trumpet sound. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to heaven. We're going to have a seven-year dinner. We're going to eat something fierce, man. We're going to be eating forever because we don't get fat. We don't gain weight. We don't have to go to the bathroom. So we're going to have a seven-year feast, sharing testimony, and then on the end of the seventh year, we're going to get up and saddle our horses. We're all going to saddle a horse. We're following Jesus back to this planet. You, you want to be behind his horse, not in front of his horse when he comes back. Because when he comes back, blood's going to run as high as the horse's bridle. It's skanky in front of the Prince of Peace. Yeah, that's in the Bible. Make sure whose side you're on. Only God. Go ahead, big boy. Do you notice in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus never asked anybody twice anything. You want to follow me? No, I got to bury a dead relative. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You want to follow me? I got to go take care of a cow. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, studied for years. Jesus never asked anybody anything twice. God says, I want people who want me. If you don't want me, fine. But if you want me, man, we got a blessing for you. I will bear you with goodness. You're going to have a really incredible life. But if you don't want me, have what you want. And that gets scary. So we go back to the ranch thing here in Genesis. Adam may get fired, evicted. So we go down to the Bible, and it's sort of a great story. Go down to Noah and the flood. And, you know, I th some people estimate there were 8 billion people on the planet during Noah's time because people lived forever, you know. Noah and the flood. So God's down to one family. He's got one good family. Everybody's gone stupid. How many are there? Well, about 8 billion. They've all gone stupid. So God looks at me and says, I'm going to drown them. I'm going to drown every stinking one of them. And he does. He drowns them all in one family. They're in that boat. And, you know, you wouldn't want to be on that boat. There's no rudder on that boat for a year. And you're shoveling stuff. It's skanky on that boat. That boat landed. They were glad to get out. So they all got out. And Noah's having to get to multiply and replenish the earth. And we get down to the Tower of Babel. What happens? Well, the whole earth's gone stupid again. God got mad. So I'm going to drown every one of them. I'm sure some may said, you can't do that. You promised. Rainbow, rainbow. You promised. No more downing. Man, I thought too quick. So, so God said, well, I'll just confuse their languages. So they're going to build a tower to heaven. Nimrod's leading them. Full of the devil. He's leading them. going to build a tower to heaven. They couldn't, but they thought they could. So all of a sudden, somebody says, hey, hand me another brick. And somebody said, spit that out of your mouth. Hand me another brick. And they couldn't understand one another, so they started throwing bricks at each other. It's in the Bible. It's a great story. And they stopped building the tower. Well, we're coming down to strike three. Even baseball has it down pat. We're coming to the third strike, end times, antichrist, one world government. We're not part of that. We're here during the age of grace. We're trying to save as many people as we can, get as many people filled with the Holy Ghost, get as many people saved, restore as many people back to health. We have a full-time job. We will never get laid off. We will never be without work. We're the body of Christ. It's the greatest time of human history. Somebody asked me one time, Joe, when would you like to be born? Would you like to be? Can you imagine going back in time before there was an earth? And God said, hey, son, look down through time. When would you like to be born? You'll be born here in the Garden of Eden. Would you like to be born then? No, that's not going to go good. Nope, nope, nope. Would you like to be born in Noah's time? You like boats? Oh, I love boats. You want to be born here? No, that boat's not going to go good. Nope, nope, nope. Would you like to be born when Jesus comes to the earth? Silent night, holy night, we three kings of Orient are. No, they're going to nail people to cross the 70 miles to the side of Jerusalem. No, thank you, Father. Well, son, you've got to pick some time to be born. When would you like to be born? Well, Father, if I could choose, would you let me be born in the last days when your spirit's poured out without measure? We're going to dream dreams and have visions. You're going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. I want to be alive in the greatest revival in the history of the planet. That's when I want to be alive. And so if you're in church, you know that. We live in the greatest time of human history. But if you just read the paper and listen to the news, man, that's bad. Man, it's war and rumors and war. The commons up and down. Stop marching down. You're reading the wrong book. I was on church staff, two great church staffs. I loved them both. Two great church staff. I realized something. We'd go in every morning for coffee. Church staff, church staff. Get our morning coffee before we go to our office. And they would say, hey, did you see the news this morning? See what happened over in Afghanistan? See what happened in Iraq? See what happened in Russia? See what happened in Israel? No, I didn't watch the news. The Bible says, you know, you need to get this book in first thing in the morning. Meditating this day and night. Not the news. I watch the news once a day. Used to, now I had a good time with that because when I was young, news came on at 5 o'clock, went off at 
That's on 24 hours a day, seven days a week on seven channels. Hell's happening all the time. Hey, some hell just happened. We'll be back after this commercial. Stay tuned for some hell. The Bible says we are what we feed on. Watch what you feed on. We live in the greatest time of human history. Are we part of it or are we just watching it? The Bible says some people get to heaven too. Did you see the revival? I see no revival. You weren't looking for it. It was happening. I'm the church for the pastors in Africa. There are more people being saved. I don't know how many, I forgot, I've lost count how many times he's gone. There'll be more people saved when he's there this time than most humans will have saved in their entire life. And I know his testimony. What'd you do? I found Jesus. Who? Jesus. I remember the first time I came here, I was talking to Pastor Peter. You don't understand. I, don't, I hope you know what you've got. I hope you know what you've got. And he talked about, you know, said, <laughs> he said, Joe, I, I know what I came out of. I know where I came from, so I, I usually go to church at 5 o'clock every morning. I spend an hour praying, an hour studying the Word, an hour working out. At 8 o'clock when the staff gets there, I prayed an hour. I worked out an hour, and I studied an hour. So by the time they show up, I'm ready. And so I go over everything. It's by noon, I'm going home. People think I only work half a day. No, I work a whole day. I just get my stuff done real early. Because I know where I came from. I know if I don't stay close to God, I'll go back stupid. Good people go stupid all the time, and I've learned that. He gave me one of the greatest lessons I've ever had in my life first time I came. I thought, you're right. You're right. We still hear stories, and ancient I've been in ministry a long time, of people been in ministry a long time, just went stupid. Why'd you go stupid? You stopped reading the book. You stopped praying. You stopped hanging out with the saints. It's a simple formula. Hang out with the saints and stay in the book. So here's my closing thing. I wrote it down, so I'm through. I'm through. Just one piece of paper. This is Paul. Paul prayed in the Holy Ghost more than anybody. Paul was a great father. Timothy was his son. Titus was his son. Now, he wasn't nationally married, but he had sons in the faith. And boy, he loved, he loved people. So I always hear people that give these sad, sappy stories. I say, well, you know, Paul wrote the church at Corinth. He'd already been there once, and they were going through a hard time. Man, it's hard, Paul. You've got to come back. It was great when you were here. You've got to come back. We're getting drunk at communion. We don't have the little sissy cups. We're just guzzling stuff down. Every time we have communion, everybody's getting drunk. And we got one guy shacked up with his mother-in-law. It's weird. There's this weird stuff going on. Paul, please come back and help us. So Paul's he's thinking, well, huh. Second Corinthians, he's thinking, well, I'm sorry you're having such a hard time. I personally can't relate to it. I, I don't have hard times. I'm a Holy Ghost Shondai. I'm right two thirds New Testament, and I Shondai more than anybody. I personally can't relate to hard times. And that's not what he said. You go through a hard time? Well, I've been through a few hard times. Well, maybe a, well, maybe, maybe I'll share something. Let me share. So this is the New Living Translation of it. I'm starting at verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11. Here's what he wrote. Now, this is Paul. I am more of a servant of Christ than anybody. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more times. I've been beat more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was beaten to death, woke up, walked back into town the next day. I spent a day and night in open sea. I've been constant on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false witnesses. I've labored and not toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hungry. I've known thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I've got the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. There's not a third Corinthians. They didn't write him back. 
I'm sorry, Paul didn't mean to bring it up. I'm sorry. God bless you. God bless you. So every time you think you're going through a hard time, please realize somebody real close to you is going through something three times harder than you've ever seen. Get up every day, find somebody to be a blessing to. Somebody to shake a hand, encourage, hug a neck, write a check, go clean their house, mow their grass, find some seed to sow, quit thumb sucking, because the minute you start thumb sucking, you're in a downhill slide, and that is not a good place to be. Amen? <laughs> Let's stand up. Now... Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to do this real different this morning and hope you're not offended at this. I think it's going to be a blessing. If you're here and you're married and you're with your spouse, turn and face your spouse. Turn and face them. If you're here with somebody that's not your spouse but you'd like them to be your spouse, turn and face them. <laughs> if you're with somebody you don't want them to be your spouse, don't do this. But do this by faith. We're going to start with the men and the men only because I believe in saying what God says. You've got to start using your mouth to confess. So gentlemen, we're going to start with you. Men and men only, look at your darling and say this. Say, darling, I love you. I promise you, according to the word of God, I will be a lover, a leader, and a provider to you, for you, and for our family. Forgive me of any sin I have committed against you, against our family, or against our own flesh. I receive that forgiveness with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Ladies and ladies only, say this, darling, I love you. I promise you, according to the word of God, I will do you good and not evil all the days of my life. I will serve you. I will pray for you in Jesus' name. Pucker up and kiss one another. Okay, okay. All right. So when you're out eating today, guys, don't gripe about what you're having to pay. Just shell it out. Smile real big. Say it's an honor to serve you, sugar. I want you to bow your heads. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we thank you for this time together for these people of God. Great grace be on them on this Father's Day, Father, known this year. May we finish strong, Lord. May we finish strong this year in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking. i got two questions. Are you here today and you say, Joe, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart, but God's been dealing with me. I would like to do something about that today. If that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. The Bible says those who call on the Lord will be saved. You don't have to do anything just wild. You just have to acknowledge you need a Savior. If you're willing to do that today, God will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make a new creature in Christ. Or perhaps you're today said, Joe, I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. But I'm ready to rededicate my life today. I've been stirred this morning. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. I want to be a better husband, a better mother, a better father, a better parent. If that's you, you can pray the exact same crowd of Romans. We're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. He will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven. It'll never get easy in this. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, said, Joe, that's me. I need to get morning in today. Would you pray that prayer over me? Uh, Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life. If that's you on either count right now, would you just get your hand up and wave it at me and put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. Pray for me. Just wave it and put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you there. Anyone else? It'll never get easy in this. God does the saving. He does the forgiving. 
He just needs our permission. All right, hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hands, we're going to pray with you, and God's going to do the two greatest miracles he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's help them pray. Everybody in here, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a simple reaffirmation of their faith in you according to your word and their obedience as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. You are their shepherd. They're your sheep. They're going to hear your voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Lord, as they lead today, would you surround them with a shield of divine favor? Lord, may people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes and bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Those of you who raised your hand today, you come down here and see me or you see somebody or Pastor, you come see one of us before you get out of here. Tell somebody what you just did. You got to pour concrete in those things. So you come let me know before you leave today. 